I just want to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. You can join the whole thing by sending us an email, or you can come and join us in person. <clears throat> and before we start uh, with the sermon proper, I want to invite uh, Karen, who's our Director of Children's Ministry and also our Safeguarding Coordinator, uh, to share a few things for us. Today is a very special day. About a year and a half ago, the kids said, we always have Mother's Day, and we always have Father's Day, but what day is Children's Day? And my response, very wisely, if you will catch on to this, is every other day is Children's Day, and that's the, that's the reality. But today, specifically, we have set aside to give our whole congregation, but especially our children, some guidance and some instruction and some encouragement about the importance of kids here at Chelsea Community Church and City Temple. Now, specifically, I want to give you a couple of insights about why we have Sermon Club. Now, Sermon Club is for kids who have begun to read and write. And so you'll notice today, the kids are over here on my right, on your left. And if kids haven't exactly started to read and write, but they would still like to come to Sermon Club, that's fine, but they could come with mom or dad. Thank you for showing us the way. <laughs> and the kids who have not yet begun to read, we are helping them, we are training them, we are encouraging them to stay at the back, on the carpet, not on the hard floor, not on the stage. What happens here is that the little kids can begin to pay attention, but also the big kids are not distracted. And believe me, it's easy to be distracted. So that's why you'll see the children in two different places. And we're gonna give this a try for a few weeks and see how we go with it. Now, I have passed out sermon club notes to everyone today, and I want to just very quickly take you through what those four sections of sermon club notes are and why they're imp important. So you'll see on the front page that the scriptures that Pastor Rod will read are written there. And there's usually an encouragement for the children to look for a key word, a key phrase, or a group of words that means the same thing. So for example, today, while Pastor Rod is reading the scripture, the children are going to be looking for the words child, children, or little ones. Now, why do we do that? First of all, it encourages an attention to God's word. It encourages us to pay attention when the scripture is being read. And it directs our thoughts to the theme and to the purposes of sermon in that day. So, when we have the words that are written out, we go through the words as we are singing them, but we're also looking for the important words. So it's kind of like a seek and find game. If you would like to also join us, you can begin to even develop your own method for highlighting important words. So you can start with the words that I suggest, but you might even find more words that you think is important to, under, un to underline. The second section of Sermon Club Notes is usually some kind of a beginning activity to draw a picture or to circle what belongs or what doesn't belong or to make 
a comparison between two things. And the idea on that second page is to engage children who don't quite yet read, but also to further direct our thoughts and our attention to something that's important. Quite often, Pastor Rod tells a story at the beginning of a sermon, and quite often inside that story is a really good picture to draw. So, for example, today, the question is, what do you think is your favorite thing about church? It could even be something as simple as the biscuits. <laughs> I know that that has brought many, many people to church and then kept them going. So that is the second section. The third section is the actual notes of the sermon. There's usually a very easy instruction at the beginning. Read this and make a tick when you hear this point. And as much as possible, I try to take those points word for word from Pastor Rod's notes. It's a little bit easy because I get to see them before everybody else does. But one of the important goals of taking sermon notes is to understand how a sermon goes, how a sermon is constructed, how to listen for important words. Now, Pastor Rod is especially good at saying, today I'm going to tell you three things. And when he gives us those three things, or when he says there's four things, or when he says there's seven things, we listen in Sermon Club for those numbers. This, and then this, and then this, and then this. And we put a tick by it. You'll also notice that sometime in sermon notes, there is a fill in the blank. And that causes us to pay special attention to what's being said. Now, if you're helping your kids in the congregation to go through the sermon club notes, in the same way that I am helping the kids up here at the front, you can develop a family signal to pay attention. Because sometimes our brain does kind of drift, or sometimes we're still working on the picture. But when I go like this to the kids, that means everybody pay attention. I just go like this because that means clear off that slate and look at this slate because I'm pretty certain Pastor Rod's going to tell us the next point. So in your own family, you can develop a signal just like that. It might be something like that, or it might be listen, or it might be look. It might be anything. You as a family can develop that. And finally, the fourth section of Sermon Club Notes, I think, is the most important thing that we do. And this is called Bible Challenge. It encourages you as a whole family, or you as friends together, or even those of you who go out for coffee afterward, to discuss and to further engage with what's been taught to us in our sermon time. And so there's usually a scripture. Sometimes it's been already read. Sometimes it's a new one. And there's always questions about that scripture. Do you understand what the scripture is saying? Do you understand how it fits with the theme? And what's your opinion? Or what do you think about the scripture? And so it's a really important tool, I believe, to make us realize that sermons are not just for Sunday. God's word is not just for adults. God's word proclaimed in sermons and written in the word of God is for all of us every day, all of our lives. 
So with that, I would like to pray. And I want to ask God for wisdom, understanding, and engagement, both for the children and for us as adults in Sermon Club. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to give us patience, and to give us insight. Help us to be excited about your word. Help us to be excited about church. Cause us to be the church that you desire us to be. We know that you want this, and we humbly and joyfully cooperate with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Karen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at three passages. First of all, Proverbs chapter 22, Matthew 18, and Ephesians chapter 6. Proverbs 22.6 is a very famous verse. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Or you could say, train up a child in the way she should go, and when she is old, she will not depart from it. And then to Matthew, well, let's go next to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then finally, in Matthew 18, we're going to read the first 14 verses, and note this whole passage is about children. Sometimes we separate out bits, but the whole passage is about kids. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for its temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains 
and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I think I went to church a bit when I was a kid. My mom was a believer. My dad really wasn't until later in life. Uh, so he never really went to church with us. But I don't remember much <clears throat> in those early days. But, you know, I wanted to share probably it's my earliest memory of church. Uh, something very profound that, uh, that happened. There was a little church... Uh, Probably the sanctuary was not much bigger than this one, just down the street from where we lived, a few doors down. And uh, my mom had some friends that went to that church, and they wanted to come. And on a particular Sunday, they had uh, a guest speaker there. Uh, I don't remember who it was, uh, but apparently very popular, very well-known guest speaker uh, that was there. And the place was crowded, and I was there with my mom. It was just the two of us uh, there at the time. I was there, and, and about halfway through, as you notice some of the kids do, I needed to use the toilet. Of course, in the States, we call the toilet the bathroom. Even though it doesn't have a bath in it, we still call it the bathroom. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, I needed to use the toilet, but I've not been to this church before. Well, I've been to it, but, you know, I, I have a bashful bladder, so I never use the toilet in the church. And so I asked someone, and they said, well, you just go up. There was a, a little stairway down, kind of like this one, goes by the pulpit. Uh, the little stairway, you go down the stairs, and you'll find the bathroom down there. So, you know, and the, the preacher's preaching away. Of course, I have no clue what he's talking about. And, uh, and, and so I go down the stairs, and, and I look around. I don't see any toilet. I don't see any bathroom. I can't, can't see anything. I was later to discover that it's actually, they were hidden behind some chalkboards. But I, you know, I was looking, I looked, and so confused, I decided to walk back up the stairs, and I went and said, preacher, where's the bathroom? <laughs> so that's my earliest memory of church. And strangely, I don't think we ever went back to that church. We started not long after that going to another church a little bit further down the street. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, as you know, as a kid, I was bored with church. I don't remember a lot, but I know it shaped me. I know the adults around me made a difference in my life. As I grew older, we had things like Bible drills and, uh, and scripture memorization and things like that. Uh, that really helped me. And if I got out of hand a little bit, there were a number of men who would put their hands on my shoulder and make sure that I was brought gently back into proper alignment. Well, that was then. I've been around long enough, I've been a Christian long enough now to remember uh, what it used to be like. And I'm not one of those that pines for the good old days, by the way. Uh, never hear that in me. Um, but, uh, but I do remember back when I was growing up that, uh, you had two things. You had the Sunday service and usually before the Sunday service, you had something that we called Sunday school. Now, Sunday schools were founded here in the UK 
to train children how to read. <laughs> Excuse me, because many children didn't know how to read and write. They couldn't afford to go to school. And so Sunday schools were started to help them and to help them learn the Bible as well. Over time, they became an opportunity to help train children and focus time on children. So you had a child Sunday school of different ages, and you usually had an adult Sunday school class. And then after that, you had about a 15, 20-minute break, and then you went into the service. And always the kids were in the service. And as I grew up, my pastor did a children's message like I do, and that's part of the reason why I still do a children's message all these years later. And, uh, and interestingly, I cannot prove causation, but I can uh, indicate correlation. At some point in time, somewhere around the 1980s, it became fashionable because it was harder to recruit adults that were willing to teach uh, kids Sunday school before service. And many times the adults were coming to service and they were saying, you know, I want some me time in the service. I don't want to deal with my kids. I want my kids to go off someplace else. And so they began, some churches began to have Sunday school at the same time as adult worship. So the kids were not present. And, and many churches made it quite clear that they didn't really want the children present. Now, in those days when the kids were coming into the service, we had a little thing called a cry room. So if they got a little fussy, they could go into the cry room, and it was a place where they could still watch what was going on. But it was a, a reasonably little quiet room. But that wasn't very often that somebody had to go in there. And gradually over time, we began to lose the whole Sunday school idea, and then it began harder to get, to get people who were willing to volunteer uh, during the services. So many churches started to have uh, 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 the kids in at the beginning with the worship time and singing, and then about the time that the preacher started preaching, they would have the kids go away into their own place which was a bit like a little entertainment venue. We had this pizza place called Chuck E. Cheese uh, in the United States. There's still some around. They have puppets and all kinds of things. And it's just about entertainment. And the thing that I've noticed is that in that time, we have seen fewer and fewer children who were brought up in church continue in church after university. We have seen more and more young people walk away from the faith, even in college, even in university. And we've seen a change, certainly in the United States, and certainly, I think, here in the United Kingdom. And while I cannot prove that that is what has made the difference, I can say that the correlation has been very, very clear to me. And I think even more that we've missed what Jesus was saying and what the Bible was saying in this passage. And consequently, we have lost one or two generations of children. And we've failed to disciple our children intentionally and instead 
In many places, we've allowed Babylon to disciple our kids. We have assumed that, okay, we're a Christian nation, so if our kids are brought up in school, they'll learn all about Jesus, they'll learn all about the Christian stuff. I don't have to do it. I can still have my time on Sundays, and we can entertain the kids, and they're all going to be Christians, but the problem is they're not. And so many are walking away from the faith. And Karen and I, we decided... 35 years ago, that was not going to be us. We made a commitment at the beginning of our ministry that children would be welcome because we know that children are the present of the church, not just the future of the church. Children are the now of the church, not the further on of the church. And we have a responsibility as the people of God together to fulfill our biblical responsibilities regarding children so that they become mature followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in this world, there's no guarantees. They may not do this. They may not grow up. They may reject Jesus. You can't, you can't guarantee it, but we want to give them the best foundation so they do not. If Karen and I would have had kids here in the United Kingdom, being Americans from the United States, our children would have been American citizens. And we would have got them passports, got them social security numbers, whatever they needed so they could be American citizens. Now, we would have understood that when they grew up, they might decide not to be American citizens, but that would be their choice but we would do everything we could as citizens of the United States that they could have the same privileges that we have as citizens of the United States. If we would do that for our children with a political system, how much more do we need to do that with our children in the kingdom of God? And that's our passion. I wanna give you three warnings here. Three warnings. Warning number one, is beware the cross-cultural excuse. Beware the cross-cultural excuse. Sometimes people say, well, this is not how we do it in my culture. Well, what we're talking about here is not a culture-specific approach. What we're talking about here is a biblical approach. It's not about culture. In fact, as I look at cultures, and I know that there's a lot of differences in the way cultures deal with children. I've seen it. I know it. I recognize it. But I've really discovered that the differences, a primary, the primary difference is this. In many Western countries, like the United Kingdom, like the United States, uh, maybe in Germany, uh, the emphasis on the nuclear family. So in other words, mom and dad are kind of uh, possess their kids, if you will, and say, okay, we're going to raise our kids, and you can't punish our kids, you can't raise our kids unless you've got our permission. That's, that's more of a Western approach. Whereas in many other cultures, it's all about your tribe. And I'm using tribe in a very generic sense, not a specific sense. 
but it's that group of people around you. Your tribe might be your extended family. So you've got grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles, and everybody speaks into the child's life. And if anybody in the family sees the kid doing something wrong, they can speak into it. You know, in some cases, it's the, it's the people around you that you allow to speak in, those people in your community or your church family, and everybody's expected to chip in, but that tends to be the biggest cultural difference I've seen. So we cannot excuse ourselves by saying, well, that's not my culture. The big question we have to ask, what does the Bible say? And I want to do it in the biblical way. The second thing, and this is universal, cross-culture, cross-cultural, beware guilt and shame. Beware guilt and shame. I, you know, I've learned over the years, whenever I talk about kids, whenever I talk about parents, you get some that's, oh man, I'm just such a terrible parent. You know, I just feel so bad or I'm so ashamed because my kids have done this or my kids have done that. And you know what? Guilt and shame, unless they're caused by the Holy Spirit, that's the caveat. Unless they're called, caused by the Holy Spirit, guilt and shame are utterly useless emotions. Do not allow Satan to manipulate you by guilt and shame. And as well, never use guilt or shame as a parenting strategy. It doesn't work. It never works. So beware the cross-cultural excuse, beware guilt and shame, and beware the lies of contemporary culture. And there's a lot of them. I can't even begin to explain them all. One big one that I've heard, well, I'm not going to tell my kids so much about Jesus because I think that they should make their own decision about God as they grow up. That's a lie of the enemy. You have a responsibility to tell your kids about Jesus and to raise them up. Don't believe the lie. Uh, oh, another lie. Children do better free range without boundaries. Do you know that is a lie from the pit of hell? Study after study have demonstrated that when children have strong boundaries, they are healthier and more secure. And there are countless other lies. So with that in mind, these, these warnings in mind, let's talk about what the Bible says to us about kids, particularly in these three passages. The first thing the Bible tells us is let the children come. Let the children come. In Luke 18, we didn't read that passage, but Jesus says, let the children come and do not hinder them. Do not hold them back. Do not keep them away. Give them the open door. Let them come. We must welcome children into the everyday life of the church, including Sunday worship. Now, your kids in Sunday worship, they're learning. You may not think they are. You might think that they're running around at the back and they're not listening, they're not paying attention. But I guarantee you, God is doing something in their lives. I remember what one guy told me years ago about this. He said, you know, Rod, 
I, I never really liked having my kids I, I, in church. I thought that they should, should uh, go out, and, and I never thought that they were paying attention. But then, this last week, uh, my wife and I, we were talking about something, and my son, who seemed to be on his iPad the whole time during church last Sunday, my son said, well, Dad, it's just like Pastor Rod said in his sermon on Sunday. And he quoted me. That's happening all the time. We got to welcome children in because Jesus says, whoever welcomes a child in Jesus' name is welcoming Jesus. Welcoming Jesus. Children participate with adults in the life of the church. Children share in the ministry of the church. As I told them earlier, it's even things like praying for the sick. Kids can do that. Kids can cast out demons. I've seen it happen. I've seen kids pray for the sick. We saw one of our, our kids pray during our intercession time today. Kids can be involved in the ministry of the church. The only thing they can't be is an elder because as they pointed out, they're not old enough yet. But, you know, a lot of times I've learned a lot as an elder <clears throat> from the children in my church. <clears throat> Children share in the ministry of the church. Children learn alongside of us as adults. And children learn from us as adults and not just their parents. Every single one of you is an example to these children, whether they're your children or not. Every single one of you is an example to the children. Children, ultimately, they need to connect with the church. They need to build a sense of attachment with their church, which will help shape their identity in Jesus Christ. So we must welcome children, and we must protect our children. We call it safeguarding these days. But we must welcome them and protect them. And Jesus was very clear about this. You know that whole business about cutting off your hand, in your foot or gouging out your eye, you know, normally we, we think about that in terms of generic sins, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He says, first of all, woe to anyone. It says causes these little ones to sin. That's not exactly what the, the word means. The word in Greek is the word that we get scandal from. So Jesus is saying, woe to anyone who scandalizes a child. That means anyone who harms a child, who exposes a child to sin, or who leads a child into sin. Not just causing them to sin. If you harm a child, you expose a child to sin, or you lead a child into sin, Jesus says, woe to you. He says, it's better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and for you to be thrown into the heart of the sea. Uh, I want you to know that I have volunteered to be on Jesus's millstone hurling team. He won't need to do it because I will gladly volunteer to do it. And I hope every single one of you men in this church feel exactly the same way. because this is serious. It's serious. Jesus said this is so serious, 
If your hand causes you to sin or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better to go into eternal life with one hand or one foot than burn for eternity in hell. Hear clearly the consequences. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And we know how the eye can cause us to sin in these days. Jesus says, do not despise these little ones, these children. Do not look down on them. Do not act in a way that shows contempt or disregard for him because it's not God's will that any little one should perish. It's not God's will that any of these children should grow up not knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. At the same time, as we welcome them in, children need to realize it's a privilege to sit at the adult's table. Oh, when Karen and I were growing up, you know, if the adults were playing a game or something like that, we always wanted to do it, you know. Uh, can, can we play? Can we join? And our parents would say, no, not until you're such and such an age. But when we got to be such and such an age, they would let us sit at the table. But we had to play the game according to the rules. We had to learn how to sit. We had to learn how to participate. The same is true with our kids here. They've got to learn how to sit. They've got to learn how to participate. It doesn't come natural to adults, let alone children. And you know what? That's okay. We need to help the kids engage in the worship service. I look at Ade, I mentioned his example earlier, playing the drums. You know, he was that kid. He said, when he was about nine, 10 years old, I want to play the drums, I want to play the drums. No, you can't until you're 12. And he watched and he waited. And when he had the opportunity, he took it and never gave it up until he went to university. And that's how that goes. Worship doesn't come naturally to us as adults. So why should it come naturally to our kids? We need to help them to engage. So the first point, let the children come. Second point, train the children up. We need to train the children up. Train the children up in the Lord, according to Jesus and according to the Bible. A training children, we call it discipleship. It has to be intentional, firm but gentle, and consistent. Intentional, firm, and consistent. And if you do, you don't have to be rough. You don't have to be harsh. You just be firm, you be intentional, you be consistent, Children will learn. They will grow. Training children must never be done in anger or with harshness, but always with firmness and a smile as much as possible. Sometimes it's a smile through clenched teeth. You know we know how this is, right? And we need to understand, as we train the children up, parents are the primary disciple-makers of their children. Nobody can replace parents. Fathers especially are key when they're present in a, in a situation. I mean, research has confirmed this. Parents are the dis primary disciple makers, but parents don't have to do it alone. We're part of a group. We're part of a family. 
Parents can get help from their extended family, aunts and uncles, grandparents. Parents can get help from their fabricated family. You know, in many families, I'm called Uncle Rod, even though I have no blood relationship. That's, that's what we call a fabricated family. But fabricated families are real, and in many cultures, they're just as real as the biological family. So they can get help from the fam fabricated family. They can get help from their church family. But understand this, parents must invite people to help and be clear on the boundaries and not be afraid of that. So if you're a parent, you can say, no, I, I would rather you not do that. Maybe do it this way. Or as a parent, you can say, hey, I'm really happy if you want to help me look after my boy or my girl and, and share it around. We've got so many people in church that are happy to do that. But we have to train up our children. And we have three responsibilities regarding children to train them up. No, normally shepherded by fathers when possible. Paul notes this when he addressed dad. And assisted by others. The first one is train up. We train them to sit with us and participate in worship. And the whole life of the church. Not as in time out, but as valued parts of the community. And remember, we'll all have good days and we'll have bad days. And frankly, you know, adults just show their bad behavior in more subtle ways sometimes than the kids do. But I've seen adults, you've got as many good days and bad days as the kids. You can train them to show how to respect, to, to show respect to God and others with their voice with their behavior. Oh, let's use an inside voice here. Not be overly loud, not be unruly and disruptive. But sometimes they're going to be loud and sometimes they're going to be unruly or disruptive. It's okay. Don't feel shame and don't feel guilt. That's the enemy. That's the enemy, okay? We can train them how to live for Jesus day by day. Such training... Remember, it's intentional, it's firm, it's consistent. It does not hurt your child. If you train the child, then they will appreciate what, has happened, ha what is happening, even if they are bored. Now, a second responsibility here under train up is to discipline. Bring them up, Paul says. Raise them up, nourish them with discipline. Discipline is not punishment. It is never punishment. The word translated discipline literally means to come alongside a child to help them to do the right thing. If you're walking with a child and the child starts to wander off to the side, maybe wander into traffic, discipline means just putting your arm around them and drawing them gently back to you. That's what Paul's talking about when he says discipline. Discipline means that we help the child to correct what is wrong so that it becomes right. It means helping a child become complete and healthy. And then the third thing that we need to do here is to instruct the children, to give them strong guidance regarding correct behavior and belief. Sometimes we need to warn them about incorrect behavior, behavior that is harmful. We need to teach children to obey because children, like the rest of us, are naturally sinful. 
You know, I used to think when I was younger, I used to think that children were nice. You know, the babies were so innocent and sweet and everything, right? And then I got to meet a couple. And I thought, whoa, that's, oh, gosh, uh, there's sin there. Goodness gracious. It's there. I mean, we know it. We see it. So if we teach children to obey, if we instruct them, you are setting them up for a blessing. Because the Bible says, honor your father and mother that it may go well for you in the land your God has given you. Teaching children to obey sets them up for a blessing. But this also means we need not, must not be afraid of displeasing our kids. They need connection with us and sometimes correction from us. And many times they're not going to be happy with that. So what? Don't let them make you feel guilty or ashamed. And don't make them feel guilty or ashamed. Just be firm, intentional, and consistent with a smile on your face and love in your heart. Oh, I heard many people over the years, you know, they say, the Christian faith is caught, not taught. That's baloney. Christian faith is both taught and caught. We have to teach our children and live as examples for our children. This happens through day-to-day -day interactions with the parents, reinforced by engagement with the church. And this idea of caught, not, not taught, that didn't work in Israel. It doesn't work in Babylon. So we need a change. Third thing. So we let the children come. We train the children up. And we need to join the children down. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself and becomes like a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They are here to teach us almost as much as we are here to teach them. We need to turn and become like children because they're not here to become like us. They're here so we could become like them. You know what? We have some kids that, that have, all, all kids have had this tendency to run to the front. And you think what's going on there, right? And you know, the only reason we don't let them do that is because with the instruments and stuff, it's not safe for a little child. Because the instinct, do you know why the children are running to the front? Occasionally, okay, sometimes they're naughty. They know they're not supposed to do it. But that's not the primary reason. The primary reason the kids are running to the front is because they want to be with God. They perceive the presence of God and they're longing for that and they are naturally drawn to that. That's why they come to the front. That's why they want to come up and play up at the front because there's a dynamic, there's a sense there of God's presence. And there's many times when things that God wants adults to do are manifested in our kids. I remember one service I was preaching, the joy of the Lord was present, and, and we just, I mean, we just needed to laugh 
but nobody was like, because it's serious, you know, it's church, I can't do that. And so one of the little children in church just started laughing and laughing uproariously for no, it's not like I told a joke or anything. They were just laughing. And, you know, eventually some of the adults, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it's because God just wanted us to rejoice. And people weren't. And so he said, okay, I'm going to get kids to do it. Maybe the adults will finally listen to the kids. We need to learn with the children how to take risks with God, how to relate joyfully with one another, and how to worship God with abandon. And kids can teach us these things. These things are important to the Lord. So we need to let the children come. We must train the children up and then join the children down, humbling ourselves to be like one of them and embrace children as full parts of the church, of the body of Christ, because that is indeed what they are. I remember years ago at City Temple, thankfully, this has only happened one time. Uh, it's kind of nice. But I remember a woman coming up after her service. She, was, uh, she had come maybe a couple of times. And she said, you know, I really love this church. It's such a great church. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy being here. I, I enjoy the word. But, you know, the, the kids are, I, I think, I feel like they're a little disruptive. It's hard for me to concentrate. And I looked at her. And with gentleness, I said, well, you know, there are a lot of churches in London that don't have children in the service that are very quiet and contemplative, and you're welcome to go to any of those churches. But this is what we do here. So I think she went to one of those churches because I never saw her again, and that's okay. Also remember one time, kind of broke my heart, a couple in the life of the church, they had kids, uh, but they wanted their children to be gone during the service, to go to one of those churches that takes the children off. And they said, well, Rod, I'm, you know, we're, we're going to go to another church. And I said, fine, I understand that. And I know that they were going to raise their kids and train their kids. I wasn't worried about that. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame. But they're welcome to do that because that is not what God's called us to do. We make a long-term commitment to your children. And we can see some young adults in the life of this church that are evidence that we make a long-term commitment to your children. And we have evidence, Karen and I have evidence over more than 40 years of ministry going before I was even ordained we have evidence. We now serving as men. With their doing the same kinds of things, discipleship. Expand where young people are following Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a generational blessing, and we are going to embrace that blessing and communicate that blessing, and that is who we are, and we're going to be that with a passion. 
Because we love children as Jesus loved children. We welcome children as Jesus welcomed children. And we want to be like kids so we can be great in the kingdom of heaven. And frankly, you know, our children, some of these that have been right here, may be those that see the return of Jesus. They may be those that live through the tribulation. They may see some very difficult times in our world. And we have a responsibility as the body of Christ to join with our parents in preparing our children to face that reality. Billy Sunday was uh, a baseball player. It's one of the reasons I like him. But I like him even more because he was one of the most popular and powerful evangelists of the early 1900s. Billy Sunday became uh, converted as a baseball player and he started preaching the gospel. And during his ministry, there were thousands, if not tens of thousands, that came to Jesus Christ because of his ministry. Yet, when he was about to die, he lamented. He said, the great tragedy of my life is that though I have led thousands to Christ, my own sons are not saved. Indeed, his sons mocked their father's ministry. They were drunks with horrible family lives, and one of his sons actually committed suicide. It was the practice of the Sundays to leave their kids with a nanny while they went off and did ministry. We are not going to be like Billy Sunday. We are not going to leave our kids with somebody else to raise. We're going to invest in our children. And you can know, parents, that I'm committed to your kids and that I will do everything in my power to keep them safe and to help them grow strong as followers of Jesus Christ. That's our commitment. That's my commitment. That's Karen and my commitment. That's our commitment as elders. So in the Lord Jesus Christ, let us welcome the children in, train the children up, and join the children down so that they become healthy, vibrant followers of Jesus and God's kingdom is advanced. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, we worship you, and we adore you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of children in our fellowship. And Father, we pray that you'd help us always keep them safe. Help us to welcome them and even more in. Help us to train them up so that they become followers of Jesus, supporting the parents as the primary disciple makers in their kid's life, so that no parent has to feel like they're alone or by themselves in this, but we're together. And Lord, help us to humble ourselves so that we become like little children, so that we follow you like little children, so that we learn from them as much as they learn from us because we want us all to be great in the kingdom of heaven. We love you and praise you, and we thank you for all this. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen.